0: almost got trampled. (laughs) Well, good morning again. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Dan. I'm the transitional pastor uh, here at Simi Covenant. Um, I am here, as you have recently heard, for about another month more. Um, It has been a Really good experience for me, and I wanted to thank you for that. Um, We'll talk about that a little bit more some other time. Um, Everything in our society costs something, doesn't it? Uh, My beat-up old cell phone finally died (laughs) about a week and a half ago, and I had to get a new one because in this day and age, you kind of have to have one. I mean, it wasn't that long ago when we actually didn't use them. And I was one of those holdouts for a long time. Like, I'm not getting one of these. Like, I'm going to use a pager. And some of you don't even know. Some of you younger folks don't even know what a pager is. Um, but then one time, uh, I pulled a double flat um, on I-55 in Chicago. I was like, you know what? I think I need a cell phone. Um, it it Well, I needed a new cell phone, and I was looking at the prices, and I was thinking, oh my goodness, what is with the price tags on these things? It kind of gave me a sick feeling in my stomach when I had to think about how much money I was going to be spending so that I could use a phone. The costs are high. Costs are high in our society. Costs are high for housing. Costs are high for clothes, for cars, for gas. Man, that has skyrocketed a bunch in the last two months. But it's not just material things that have costs. There are all kinds of costs in life. Whether you decide to go to one college or another, not just the financial picture, there are costs involved. When you decide to have children in life, There are costs, there are financial ones too, but there are other costs. All of a sudden, you and your spouse go on fewer dates. There are costs. Again, it's not just material costs that we have in life. There are relational costs. There's time, there's energy, there's heartache. But with children, at least as I've discovered, it's worth it. It's tiring, but it's worth it. Over the past several weeks, we've been talking about what it is for us to experience God in our journey with Jesus. What it means for us to experience God in everyday life, in the ups and downs of life. This morning, we're going to continue in that series and look again in the gospel according to Luke and be reminded that the journey with Jesus the journey that we are on if we call ourselves Jesus followers is an invitation to sacrifice, is an invitation to humility in the name of mission. Following Jesus is more than the happy moments where we feel like God loves us, although that is important and critical. Following Jesus means sharing in the experience of sacrifice. But not simply sacrifice for sacrifice's sake, but sacrifice for a purpose. We're going to jump into our passage this morning, and then we're going to look into not a traditional uh, Palm Sunday passage, but we will get to that passage in a little bit. But we're going to begin our morning in Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. I'm going to read the passage for us, and then we'll continue. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned to the, the, turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate, that's a strong word, his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. The word hate is there, and indeed, in translation, it is the word for hate. It's not like we mistranslated it or something or thought, well, it kind of means this. No, the word actually is the word for hate. How do we understand this then? Well, in the ancient Near East, as it is in a lot of cultures even today, hyperbole is the norm. You make a point by talking about extremes. One Lebanese Christian theologian, Abraham Ribani, observed that even in Arabic, there isn't really an English corollary to the word like. Like, I like something. Instead, when talking about relational um, connections with people, positive relational connections with people, it's all variations of the word love. And so even the word itself, properly translated, has a range. We talk about love and hate all the time in our society, and we mean all kinds of different things. I happen to hate the Boston Celtics. I mean, I don't have anything personal against any of their players or coach. Maybe, well. On my good days, I have nothing personal against anybody. I don't have anything personal against their fans, their executives. But I do use the word hate. I hate the Celtics because I love the Lakers. Now, don't get me started on what's going on there. I could say the same thing about mushrooms, and probably here I'm trying to lose some of you because some of you love them. But I am not a mushroom guy. I hate mushrooms. They taste weird and they feel weird. I hate mushrooms. Some of you have some sympathy for me. Some of you are like, what? Hyperbolic words are used all the time to prove a point, to contrast with other things. And here, the point that Jesus is trying to make is clear in verse 27, when he says to the people that are following him that they must carry their cross. In other words, there is somebody somewhere where their attention, their affection should be focused on more strongly by comparison. And that is on following Jesus. Jesus invites people to lay down something even some of their relationships in light of what the mission is in light of who god is to carry their cross now that is a really strange phrase for jesus to use at this point in his ministry because as why we we have the benefit of hindsight The cross has been redefined for us already. The cross has been redefined for us as a symbol of sacrifice, but yet at that time, in that day, it had yet to be redefined. Jesus had not yet died on the cross. The cross remained as an image of shame and burden, a symbol of death and punishment of the worst kind and yet even here Jesus is beginning to redefine the cross as a symbol of sacrifice in Matthew's gospel recounting the same phrase the same teaching by Jesus Matthew says if you are it records Jesus is saying if anyone wants to follow me they must deny themselves and pick up their cross and follow me you see the idea of self-denial, of sacrifice in Jesus' teaching is already being tied together with the image of the cross. And then again, later on in Luke chapter 14, in a few verses down, he says, Jesus says, in the same way after explaining all of these things, don't you consider how much it's going to cost if you're going to start a project or if you're going to do this sort of thing. Don't you consider what it's going to take out of you? He says, in the same way, any of you who does not give up any everything cannot be my disciples. Self-denial. Self-denial is hard stuff. To give up something that you want or is even sometimes key to how you do life or how you see yourself, how you relate to others, self-denial is hard. Any of you who have gone, ever tried to go on a diet know exactly what I mean. Self-denial is tough. Now, I don't happen to have a problem with sweets because I don't have a sweet tooth. Birthday cake seems too sweet for me, so I prefer not to have birthday cake on my birthday. Some of you are like, (gasps) but if you put a bag of chili picante Corn nuts in front of me. It's kind of hard for me to stop. I'm going to be honest with you. Our kids recently wanted to get them at the store, and we have to put them somewhere else so that I don't eat them before they get them. It's hard for me to stop, and I know they're not good for me. I mean, one small bag, I almost brought the bag to show you, one small bag about that big is like 220 calories. The nutrition info on that thing is awful, but there's an addicting quality to them. They're savory, a little bit spicy, a little bit sour, because it says con limon. It has a little bit of lemon in there. It's, I love them. <laughs> Self-denial is tricky, but not just over trivial things like corn nuts, but what about in the more serious areas of life? how we spend our money day to day, how we spend our time, how much time we spend on our own entertainment. Self-denial is tricky. To deny oneself and to carry one's cross is what we sign up for when we say yes to Jesus. It is what it means to be a disciple of Christ, to model ourselves after Jesus who gave us the ultimate example of self-sacrifice. This Palm Sunday, typically on Palm Sunday, we celebrate. We're reminded that our journey with Jesus celebrates a king, but this morning, I want us to think about it this way, that our journey with Jesus is an invitation to humble self-sacrifice in the name of God's mission. It's not just a moment for us to wave our palm branches and say, hooray, 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 because there's more things going on there in that scene, which we're going to talk about. It becomes clear when we look at the procession of Jesus into Jerusalem as found in the book of Luke. Let's jump into that. Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent word to two of the disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of me, ahead of you, and you will enter it, and you will find a colt tied there, one which has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it, say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found just as he had t- told them. As they were untying the colt, the owners asked them, Why are you untying this colt? They replied, Well, the Lord needs it. There was probably some negotiation there, and they said, Fine, 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 take it. They brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. Their cloaks, not like proper writing stuff, cloaks thrown on, a d- okay. It looks weird. And as he went along, people started spreading their cloaks on the road. When he came near to the place of the ro- where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully praising God in loud voices of all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This story is weird and very strange, but it is in this story that we see a kind of humble sacrifice, a humble self-sacrifice, similar to what is called for in Luke chapter 14, which we read just a bit ago. If you break through the noise of what happens afterwards, all the praising and shouting, the consternation of the Pharisees were kind of a little bit off-put by the whole scene, you notice the oddity of this scene. An oddity that I suspect most of the people present could recognize. You see, Jesus rides toward Jerusalem on a donkey. Not on some gallant horse or some noble steed, but on a donkey. (laughs) And not just any donkey. You see, the scene in Luke 19 is a reenactment of a prophecy given in Zechariah 500 years prior. Let's read that passage. In Zechariah it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, but not just any donkey, a, on a colt, a foal of a donkey. So not a full-grown beast of burden that has been used to hauling stuff for the farmers nearby, but a little donkey. This was a mockery of a scene. No king rides into a city on a young donkey. A little donkey, one that could probably barely hold a grown man's weight. I mean, I could just imagine the scene of this poor little creature trying to move forward with Jesus sitting on him. And I mean, who knows? Maybe those extra cloaks put on a little bit of extra weight, too. What an awful and weird scene. Everybody there would have known this is strange. The Pharisees would have seen that, and at some point, the Pharisees tell the disciples, hey, can you tell, uh, tell Jesus, can you tell your disciples to stop this? Now, there are probably a variety of reasons why they are wanting to stop it. One could be that there were political implications. If there's a group of people saying that the king is coming into town, well, the king is not going to like that. Like, simmer down now. It also seems like a bit of a mockery of the prophecy to see it played out like this. And just the scene itself itself is absurd. Why would anyone do this? But it is in the absurdity of the scene that I think we come to a better understanding of what is called the triumphal entry, which, as it turns out, is not so triumphal after all. Instead, it is the absurd entry. Absurdly humble. Sacrificing status and pride. This is one of the harder lessons, I think, in what it means for us to follow Jesus. Because we are creatures of ego. Ego. We have pride. We not only want to be liked, but we want to be respected, valued, honored by others, considered highly by the people around us. And those in and of themselves are not bad things, but Jesus comes with a very different demeanor. He models an entry into Jerusalem that looks odd, half depressing, and strange. Humble, self sacrifice, that lays down ego and pride. We are invited as people journeying with Jesus, followers of Jesus, to share in this experience with Jesus. To lay aside our ego and our pride, but not simply for humility's sake, not just to be self-abasing, not so that we can suffer from poor self-esteem, but because there is something bigger at stake, a bigger picture that puts our moments of humility into proper perspective. You see, Jesus doesn't humble himself in this image, in this absurd entry just for the sake of doing it and fulfilling a particular prophecy. He did so because he had a mission in mind. He knew where he was going and he knew what he was demonstrating. There was something to happen here. There is a mission that he had to accomplish. Let's return briefly to Luke chapter 14, which we where we began this morning. Luke, after saying that people must, recalling that Jesus said people must deny themselves or people must carry their cross and follow Jesus, he begins to talk about this. It seems like an odd pivot for Luke. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how could it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is just thrown out. Whoever has ears, let them hear. This seems like an odd thing to tack on to the end of this description about sacrifice and carrying one's cross, doesn't it? They seem a little bit incongruous. Luke, the writer of this gospel, includes these verses which are in some ways a summary of a bigger picture, of a bigger conversation that has happened, which some of the other gospel writers go into a little bit more detail. In sum, Jesus is saying to his followers, you are the salt of the earth. The language of the verse suggests that salt has a purpose. There's something that it is supposed to do, but if it can no longer do what it is supposed to do, then it's not worth much anymore. There is a mission, you see. There is a purpose. And as Christ's followers, there is a purpose. In the same way, in journeying with Jesus, there is a purpose, and if we lose sight of our purpose as a church or as individuals, then we completely miss what it means to be on this journey at all. To experience God in everyday life is to experience the purpose and the mission of God, to let people know that there is an upside-down sort of king a very different kind of king that comes in not with bravado and not with high praise, but comes in on an absurdly small donkey. Not fanfare, but on a humble beast. For Jesus, why would he endure this kind of scene? not just because the cross was about a week away, not just because the resurrection was a week away, but in so doing, he demonstrates the mission for us. That there is a different kind of kingdom being established. There is a different economy that doesn't lift up bravado There is a different kingdom that is marked by humility and grace, self-giving and self-sacrifice. Here in this not-so-triumphal entry, Jesus humbles himself and exemplifies what I like to call the upside-down kingdom. And Jesus invites us to experience it and exemplify it with him. This is countercultural for us. In our present age, which is so full of messages of self-actualization, self-promotion. You know, a lot of social media at its core is self-promotion. We promote ourselves. Self-glorification. These things are the norm in our day and age. We live in an age where bravado, puffing oneself up, takes center stage, not only in popular culture, but in the political sphere as well. This is accentuated today because of the proliferation of media and social media, but yet this has forever been the case. Long has humanity sought its own glory and praise, wanted to look right and good before everybody else, and yet Jesus shows us a different way. Jesus' words are both challenging and inspiring. Come, follow me. Carry your cross and follow me. Carrying one's cross, self sacrifice. What is God inviting you into? How is God inviting you to lay something down? Not just for the sake of laying it down, but so that you can participate more fully in what God is doing here in this church, here in your community, in your family life, in your workplace. What is God inviting you to give up? I know sometimes we talk about giving things up at the beginning of Lent, and here we're kind of at the end. But I think it's fitting because the triumphal entry calls upon this question. There's a few suggestions that you can look at on your Connect card if you want to look for some guidance on how you might want to respond. They're just suggestions. What is God inviting you to give up? To sacrifice so that you can not only make room for serving and participating in God's mission, but also that in so doing you demonstrate through your life, the kind of upside-down king that we follow. The World Vision team has been doing that, showing that in their discipline, giving up of their time and energy so that others can have clean water. What other ways might God be calling you to do that in your life? In the very doing of sacrifice and experiencing and expressing humility, we draw attention to the fact that God is a, different kind of God, that God's kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world, that is seeking out glory and rule over all people so that there would be praise and honor. Instead, Jesus makes himself low. We experience solidarity with God when we embrace sacrifice. When we say that we are following Jesus and journeying with Jesus, that must mean that we are trying to be like Jesus. And if we are trying to be like Jesus, then we share in this experience of sacrifice. Share in the experience and show others the way of Christ through our lives. The way of Christ who was, although very nature, God did not consider divinity something to be held on to, but he made himself low, taking on the nature of a servant, not a great king, and then taking on human form and being found in that form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient even to his own death. Why? For the sake of the mission to save the world through the forgiveness of sins and to show through ultimate triumph Not on a horse, but ultimate triumph in humility and sacrifice. A different kind of triumph, but triumph indeed. We say Hosanna at times when we sing songs. Hosanna basically means praise and adoration. We praise and adore not a king who came in on a great horse, but on a donkey a young donkey. We praise and adore a king who lays his ego at the sacrificial altar and invites us to do the same. What will you do? What will you do this week that may cost you something? That may cost your ego or your comfort or your pride? Maybe it's Getting the courage to maybe make a fool of yourself asking somebody to come to church next week for Easter. Sometimes we get nervous about asking our neighbors for things, and then you have this wonderful thing going on in your life that's the most important thing in your life, but heaven forbid we say anything to other people around us. Maybe it's going to cost us our discomfort. Maybe it costs you something about your material comforts, giving up that extra latte, giving up corn nuts, or something else. What will you sacrifice in the name of God's mission? Let's pray. Jesus, your life, Your example to us is inspiring and yet challenging. Lord, how can we, mere human beings, learn to embrace humility and self-sacrifice as you did? Lord, would you empower us by your Spirit to do that, to experience what you experienced and in so doing draw attention to the kind of king that you are, establishing an upside-down kingdom that is not about glorying in the riches, but in humbling ourselves, sacrificing for others. Lord, would you guide us to know you in this way, In Christ's name.